0: Now, I've got an um, outline in the bulletin like I usually do, and um, this one's a little bit different. Um, and as I like to say on days like this, um, this is not a childish outline. It might be more, a little more child-friendly, but I think it can guide all of us as we explore this story in this passage a little bit. Did you know that it's still Easter? Well, it's not Easter Sunday anymore, but we still have the open tomb here and some of the lilies left and a reminder and, the, and our, our, our Easter road is still in front of us. And actually, in the what's a church year calendar, we call this the second Sunday of Easter. So here at, and here at Cove, we are on this Easter road. We've been talking about this road for several weeks. We talked about it during Lent when we were talking about the road to salvation. And then we followed this road into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Last week, we talked about the road heading to this empty tomb where we discovered that Jesus had risen, and today we are on another road. Actually, um, it's a real road that goes away from uh, the town of Jerusalem, and on that road we meet these two disciples who are trying to get away fast. I don't know if you could hear everything they said in the video, but they were making up a story, and if anybody stopped them so that they wouldn't be identified as followers of Jesus. And as they run away from Jerusalem, though, and all the exciting and the scary and the sad things that had happened there, they actually run away from Jerusalem, but they run into Jesus, the real, risen, living Jesus. And so today what we want to say is this, that the Easter Road takes us from the empty tomb to a town called Emmaus, and on the road, two disciples find the real, risen Jesus. That's a story, but we're also going to answer the question, how can we find him now and know him? So, there's just two parts to our story, uh, our, our message today. One is on the front page of that outline, the other is on the back. On the first page, we say it's a great story and talk about how they found the real Jesus back then. And on the other side, it says this can be our story, and we're going to be finding the real Jesus now. It's a great story. And we ask the first question we ask is when did this happen? Listen again to what the Bible said. The first three words that Damon read up here were on that same day. Well, that would be four words. That same day is three words. That same day. Same day as what? Same day as the resurrection. So the answer is it's Easter Sunday afternoon. It was just just hours after uh, those women had discovered that the tomb was empty. So it was Easter Sunday afternoon hardly anybody yet had even seen the risen jesus we know from reading the gospel that mary magdalene had seen him and a couple of other gospel writers tell a couple of the other women had seen him also otherwise the men still didn't believe the women there was just rumors and reactions they hoped that it was true but they weren't sure they were still scared and people like these two guys on the road to emmaus were asking the question might the people who killed jesus also come after us who are his followers These two we read about, in Luke head towards home and family. They're running away to the town of Emmaus. And so we ask the question then, where is Emmaus? Now Luke, who wrote this story out for us, he's the guy that's really big on details. Luke was a doctor, and he was into details. He's the one that gives us all the details of Jesus' birth, and he tells us specific things. And he tells us exactly, Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. About seven miles from Jerusalem. That'd be like from here to IKEA in Bowling Brook. Okay, trying to think of something that you might recognize. You know, now some of you who already are checking GPS to see if I'm right, it's a little less than seven miles from here to IKEA, but it's about. Okay, keyword here is about seven miles. Yeah, se- yeah. Well, you- and then you do another mile when you get in the store. Um, so that that adds that gets you up to seven. So yeah. Where are those napkins? Anyway, yeah, only one is napkins. um. But seven miles which way? If you check a Bible map, you'll see that sometimes they put Emmaus on a road out to the west and sometimes Emmaus doesn't show up. Well, you know what? As we explore church history and as archaeologists have studied the area and tried to find the word Emmaus mentioned anywhere besides the story, it does not show up anywhere. This is the only time Emmaus is mentioned. There's no history of that town. So the answer to this question is we don't really know. But we do know is that these disciples found and saw Jesus there, which leads to our next question, how many disciples? These two here are called followers of Jesus, but they're not two of the the, the 12, or actually it's 11 right now because Judas has died, but um, because we know the names of those 11. In fact, only one of these is named Cleopas. The other guy, we don't even know what his name is. One of the translations of the first verse we read, verse 13 says, that same day, two of them, Who's, who's them? Two of them were walking towards Emmaus. Well, the verses just before that talk about the resurrection. It mentions the 11 apostles, but it also mentions several women. Two of the Marys by name, a woman named Joanna, and then there's another phrase that says all the others. There were several disciples. There was 12 special ones that Jesus called to be his apostles, but several of these people are followers or disciples. So how many disciples? Same answer as the last question. We don't really know. But we do know that these two disciples found and saw Jesus there, which leads to our next question. When did they really know that it was Jesus? When did they really know? The Bible tells us that they didn't recognize him on the road. In fact, did you notice in the video it was a different guy? It was a different actor. They switched out the actors a little bit there. The Bible tells us they didn't recognize him on the road, and the scripture actually even says that God kept them from recognizing him, which is kind of unusual, isn't it? God kept them from recognizing him. He kept them sort of in a place of, of wondering. It's the same thing that happened to Mary. Remember when we read the story last week from John chapter 20? Mary didn't recognize him at first. She thought he was the gardener. Not sure why he did that, but he did. But these two become curious, and when he started telling them what the Bible said about Jesus, the Son of God, but it wasn't until they were eating together that they recognized it was Jesus. Then they knew it was him, and that was when he broke bread and gave it to them. And then they knew that it was Jesus. They knew that they had found Jesus. And then it records, and it was the screen went black up here, and you hear them running back to Jerusalem to tell all of the other disciples, "We have seen the Lord. He is risen." It's a great story, and it? It's a great story, these two, finding the real Jesus then. But the good news is that it can be our story, too. It can be our story, too. We can find the real Jesus now. Maybe not in a physical, foreign standing in front of us, but in many other ways, we can experience and know the living Jesus. The first one is welcoming what? Welcoming strangers. Okay, welcoming strangers. Now, I know this goes against all the stranger danger lessons we tell our children, but stay with me here, okay? The word hospitality in, in the Greek setting as it's used in Scripture does not mean lovely meals on lovely tables. Hospitality means kindness to strangers. That's what it means. A welcoming people in that you may not know, and yet extending to them kindness in a time of need for them. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13 The writer there is talking about hospitality and says, you might even be, be sure to welcome strangers because you might even be entertaining angels. (laughs) We don't know that when we're entertaining somebody as a, as a stranger that that possibly might be the presence of God or a message from God. And here it says, they said, they said, stay with us. It is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. They didn't know who he was, but they extended this invitation. And one extended the invitation. The other one turned and said, what are you doing? (laughs) But in they went. What would have happened if these two frightened followers had listened to their mommies and, not, and been afraid of stranger danger and hadn't invited them in? Seriously, what would have happened if they had not invited him in to stay with him? Jesus himself talks about how we might meet him in the faces of strangers. He speaks in Matthew 25 about extending kindness to the hungry, kindness to the thirsty, kindness to the prisoner. And he even says extending kindness and help and hope to the stranger. And in Matthew 25, 40, he says this. What I'm about to tell you is true. Anything you did for the least important of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. So Jesus even talks about this. Welcoming a stranger may very well mean ministering to him and welcoming him. Some of you know who Mother Teresa is, who is that, uh, that nun, that Albanian nun who spent her life in Calcutta, India, caring for the poorest of the poor and the sickest of the sick. She said this, "'I see Jesus in every human being. "'I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. "'I must feed him. "'This is sick Jesus. "'This one has leprosy or gangrene. "'I must wash him and tend to him.'" I serve because I love Jesus. And so as we care for and serve the people Jesus loves, we may just meet him. It reminds me a little bit of a joke. Actually, my oldest son told me this joke last week. I'd heard it before, but I played along with it, and maybe you've heard this one. But there's a, there's a big flood, and, and this, this man went up on the roof of his house to escape the flood, and he was up there, and he was, he was praying to Jesus for help to save him. Just then somebody comes by, a stranger comes by in a rowboat and says, come on, get in. I can, I can take you to safety. And the guy goes, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm praying to Jesus to help me. And so the rowboat goes by. A little bit later, somebody comes in a motorboat and comes up and says, hey, come on come on, hop in, we can help you. He said, no, that's okay. Jesus said he would save me. I'm I'm just praying and and asking him to help me. A little bit later, a helicopter comes over and drops a rope ladder down saying, come on up, the water is rising, come to safety. And he goes, no, I've been praying that Jesus would come and save me. The waters rise and the man drowns. And he goes to heaven and he says, I'm going to chat with Jesus about it. He said, I, I asked you for help, and, 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 and you didn't come. And Jesus says, I sent a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. I didn't know what else to do for you. <laughs> Welcoming strangers. A second place is reading our, I think you know how to fill in this blank, right? Reading our Bible, of course. Part of how Jesus helped them find him uh, was by, by referring to the Bible. It says here in verse 27 of Luke 24, Jesus explained it to them, what was said about himself in all the scriptures. He began with Moses and all the prophets. Jesus explains himself from the word as a place to meet him. The gospel writer John actually calls Jesus the living word of God in chapter 1. He says, The word became a human being and he made his home with us. The word put on flesh and blood and moved in the neighborhood. The word, the expression of God, the revelation of God came in the person of Jesus. So we find Jesus in reading our Bible. Now, Jesus doesn't exactly pop out of every page. We tell you, read your Bible and find Jesus. And you read a few pages of the Bible and you go, I am just more confused than when I started. There are parts of the Bible where we really need some help to understand that. But with a little help and a little guidance as we read the word and we connect the promises and we see the person of Jesus, we do discover that we meet him in the words of Scripture and the pages of our Bible. Welcoming strangers, reading our Bibles. A third place where we can meet the real Jesus now is in opening our hearts, right? Here it wasn't just their eyes that saw Jesus. They did see him and they, they did hear him and their brains did kind of understand when it all came together. But Jesus also touched them deep inside and they even make note of that. We call it the heart, but it's, when we say heart, we don't just mean that thing that goes lub-dub and pumps blood. We, we mean the place deep inside of us that place deep inside of us where where we feel things and we know things and where relationships build a closeness for us. We talk about that place where our love for other people and our love for things develops. And so these two disciples not only saw him and heard him and could understand in their heads, but they asked each other, verse 32 says, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? We sometimes talk about becoming a Christian uh, by, by inviting Jesus into our heart, right? We use that language, inviting Jesus into our heart. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, then Christ will live in your hearts because you believe in him. Jesus does not move into that little organ that we have here, but he comes in his reality into the real place of relationship and of love. We talked about it even on step four here, or stop number four on the, Roman ro- on the Easter road down here, where Romans 10 says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you'll be in relationship. We find Jesus by opening our hearts. And finally, we find Jesus by sharing in communion. We do. We find Jesus by sharing in communion. It's what happened for those disciples that day, that Easter Sunday evening. They sat at table with him. It says as he joined them at the table, then he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Their eyes were open and they recognized him, but then he disappeared from their sight. Jesus made himself known in that breaking of bread. It's a significant story for us. And this is Sunday afternoon. If we think back just a few days to the Thursday night before the crucifixion and the resurrection, that was the night at the table where Jesus said, this is my body, it is given for you. Every time you eat it, do it in memory of me. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me, it says in many places and on our communion table even. Jesus said, keep doing this to remember me and to experience my presence. And it's more than just a memorial. It's more than just a ritual that we go through. It's not a snack. (laughs) When we do this, we are obeying Jesus and we draw near to Jesus and he draws near to us when we are sharing communion. Jesus becomes very close to us. It's not magical. We don't make Jesus appear. We don't wave a wand. It is a little bit mysterious. We don't know how it is that Jesus is present, but he is. Now usually when we're doing communion I'm, I'm, I'm up here serving it so I'm saying the words and I'm explaining what happens and Pastor Diana is often with me and we're doing that and I, I love doing that I love to be able to, it's one of the privileges of my job and on those Sundays when you come forward and seeing you come and saying your name and it's fun but I, I don't actually very often get to sit and receive communion occasionally when we do big pastor meetings and things and there's several hundred people I go forward I appreciate that but I want to tell you just briefly about a time when Jesus really came to me when I shared communion. It was last May, the last week of of May 2015, I had the privilege of going on a five-day retreat with some other pastors in in the desert out in in, uh, Arizona. And um, we spent time uh, learning some things together. We spent time in prayer together. And every night, the leaders of the retreat served communion to us pastors. We didn't have to do anything except receive. There was only about 20 of us there total between the leaders and the pastors that were there. And I can remember especially the first two nights of simply receiving a piece of bread and a cup, the reality of Jesus to me in those moments was so profound. Jesus knew that's what I needed right then in this time just to kind of step away from ministry for a while to be refreshed and to be renewed. But Jesus became very real to me in those times of sharing communion. And it can happen for us in sharing communion as well. We can come to know Jesus now in, 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 in welcoming strangers, in finding him in the word and asking him into our hearts and also the table. This Easter road that we're talking about has taken us to a deeper understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. This Easter road has taken us to an empty town and today it's taken us to Emmaus and to that table in that home. And on that road and especially at that table, they found the real Jesus but I hope you can see how it can become our story too as we find the real Jesus now. Let's pray. Lord, we love the promise of your word. We love the stories of the Bible, but Lord, we thank you that they are stories that can come to life in our own story too. Jesus, we ask now that as we prepare to receive the communion that you would make yourself known to us also in the breaking of the bread and in the sharing of it together. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this and pray this in your name. Amen.